At first, it was just one sheep per day. But as the deadly dragon grew more powerful, he demanded more and more. Soon it was the people of Silene themselves, so intense was his insatiable hunger, his desperate desire for more and more. Until, until one day a courageous knight named George agrees to confront the dragon. After a long and bloody battle, George finally defeats the cruel beast, saves the princess, and rescues the town. With what weapon did George slay the dragon? A spear? A lance? A sword? Maybe, just maybe, the dragon was slain by love. Welcome to Slain by Love, your weekly sermon podcast from the pulpit of St. George's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. In the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Y'all, please be seated and good morning. Which of these things is not like the others? Which of these things is not like the others? I wonder if I'm the only one in the room who grew up watching Sesame Street. I doubt it. But one of the most frequently occurring vignettes on Sesame Street was always which of these things is not like the others. Now, y'all, today we come to the Feast of the Transfiguration. This morning on Transfiguration Sunday, and it's this again, which of these things is not like the others? On Sesame Street, for example, you might see three things on your TV screen. You might see an apple, a banana, and then a loaf of bread. Which of these three is not like the others? Now, today, we come to Luke's version of the transfiguration story. This same story that occurs in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in all three, Jesus ascends up the mountain. In all three, Jesus' face begins to light up in a way that definitely reminds us of Moses' face in Exodus 34. In all three, Jesus is joined by these two figures from the Old Testament, Moses and Elijah, and the three of them have a miniature conversation among themselves. Lots of similarities, right? Lots of similarities between the three synoptic gospels, and yet Luke's story is different It differs from Matthew, Mark in important ways. Which of these three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, is not like the others? The answer is Luke. Here's why. First, among all the synoptic gospels, Luke alone tells us why. Luke alone tells us why Jesus went up that mountain. Verse 28 in our passage this morning, Jesus went up the mountain to pray. And so you see, this passage, this story of the transfiguration, it's an invitation for you and for me to ask a very simple, very important question, what is prayer? Now, one of the prayers in our Book of Common Prayer that's associated with the transfiguration mentions the light of God's countenance. Grant, O Lord, that we, beholding by faith the light of his countenance, may be strengthened, the light of his countenance. What an amazing phrase, one that occurs all over the Psalms of David, for example, the light of God's countenance. 
Over and over again, we hear a refrain that goes something like this. In fact, my favorite is from Psalm 80. Psalm 80, where we hear the following refrain no less than three times. Restore us, O Lord. Show us the light of your countenance, and we shall be saved. So what is prayer? That's the question this morning. What is prayer? Here's my nifty little definition this morning. Prayer is resting in God's presence. Prayer is basking in God's countenance. But let's back up real quick for just a moment. Do you know that word countenance? Ever heard that word countenance? Do you know what it means? The word countenance, it is the personal presence of someone. The personal presence of someone as manifested in their face, in their rostro, in their cara. It's one's personal presence. In 2001, the BBC put out a documentary called The Human Face. The Human Face. Here's how Wikipedia describes that documentary, The Human Face. It, quote, examines the science behind facial beauty, expression, and fame in an entertaining fashion. John Cleese, John Cleese of Pink Panther fame, John Cleese, actor, comedian, visiting professor, and best-selling author on psychology, sets out on an odyssey to discover the mysteries of identity, perception, creativity, and sexuality hidden behind the mask of life itself. This four-part series combines art, technology, and deeply moving human interest stories to cover the secrets of the human face, close quote. Sounds super interesting to me. See, what I'm trying to get you guys to do is to think about the beauty, the mystery of the human face. And what I'm really trying to say is this. You don't have to be a supermodel to have a beautiful face. In fact, all faces are beautiful because the face, the countenance, is the window into the soul. For example, think about how C.S. Lewis described his close friend Charles Williams. As for the man, he's about 52, of humble origin, Ugly as a chimpanzee, but so radiant, he emanates, he emanates more love than any man I've ever known, that as soon as he begins talking, whether in private or in a lecture, he is transfigured and looks like an angel. On another occasion, C.S. Lewis said the very same thing about his friend, quote, Williams is an ugly man, but no one ever thinks of this for five minutes after he's begun speaking. His face becomes angelic. Both in public and in private, he is nearly, of all the men I've met, the one who most overflows with love. It is simply irresistible, close quote. Plato said that the eyes, the eyes are the window into the soul, and that is correct. But y'all, we can expand that to cover the whole face, the entire face, not just the eyes, and say this, all human faces are beautiful because they are a window into the soul. Charles Williams' soul was overflowing with the love of God, and that love flowed out, that love radiated out into the world, into the lives of other people through his face. In other words, through his countenance. And by the way, wouldn't you love to have a face like that? Wouldn't you love to have a face slash countenance that money can't buy? 
that plastic surgery can't bring about. How can we get a face, a countenance like that? I'm glad you asked. Keep listening. Now, y'all, the face of the human being is a profound and beautiful mystery. But what about the face of God? What about the countenance of God? To behold the countenance of God is to see the face of God. It is to bask in the presence of God. It's to live life quorum Deo. Let me hear you say quorum Deo. Quorum Deo, before the face of God or in the very presence of God. Question, however, what happened to Moses? What happened to Moses when he found himself in the very presence of God at the top of Mount Horeb in Exodus 34. For Moses, it was stressful. It was uncomfortable. When Moses was in God's presence, he wasn't basking. It's more like he was baking. He was in danger of being burnt to a crisp, burnt to a crisp because of the unrelenting holiness of God. Remember the common rephrase, the, the common refrain in the Old Testament, no one will see God's face and live. In fact, this very thing is emphasized in Exodus 33, just a few lines above our Old Testament story this morning in verse 20 when God says to Moses, you cannot see my face for no one will see my face and live. Remember the nifty definition of prayer this morning, resting in, basking in the countenance of God? Sadly, Moses was not able to do that. Moses was not able to bask. He was not able to pray. He was not able truly to rest and to rejoice in the presence of a holy God. Moses's, Moses was not able to do that. God's face, God's presence is so terrible, so overwhelming, that if Moses were even to get a glance at it, he'd immediately die. He would immediately be put to death. Why? Because no one, no man can live, can, can look at God's face and live. No one except for one. Luke alone among the Gospels tells us that Jesus went up on that mountain to pray. And what was Jesus doing in his prayer on the top of that mountain? The answer is simple. He was basking in the presence of God. He was gazing into the face of God, his Father. No one can see God's face and live, you see, except for one. You see, friends, when we think about the transfiguration, we tend to focus on the face of Jesus and that's a good thing because Jesus' face was indeed transfigured. Yes, that's true. But I would suggest that there's another face that we need to think about as well. Not just Jesus's, but the Father's. Not just Jesus's, but God's. You see, yes, Jesus's face was shining. But why? Why? It's because he was experiencing the presence, the countenance, the love, the face of his father. Put it like this. We are invited this morning not just to look at the face of Jesus, not just to look at the face of Jesus. We are invited to look through the face of Jesus. 
to look through the eyes of Jesus and to direct our attention to God, to the Father, and to his face slash presence slash countenance. We need to look at the same thing that Jesus was looking at, the face of God. That is what we need to experience, the face of God, the countenance of God, the intimate presence of God. But wait, I thought that no one can look at God's face and live. If we look at God's face, won't we die? It's true. It's true. No one can see God's face and live except for one, the God-man, Jesus, the only son of the Father. Jesus is no mere human, no mere person, no mere man. Which of these three is not like the others? There's one final way, one final way that Luke is unique this morning, and I want to close like this. At the top of that mountain, when Jesus is conversing with Moses and Elijah, what are they talking about? Oh, to be a fly on the wall. What, what were they talking about, the three of them? Luke alone tells us. Luke alone tells us that they were discussing his departure, verse 31, his departure, his departure that he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Luke is the only gospel that includes this detail, this topic of conversation his departure. But y'all, I've looked at the Greek, and the word in Greek is not simply departure. Do you know what it is? Exodus. They were discussing his exodus, his exodus that was about to take place at Jerusalem. Why is Jesus able to look into God's face and live? Because he's no mere man. He's no mere human Huh? Why not? I'll tell you why not. It has everything to do with his departure. It has everything to do with his exodus. What is Jesus' exodus? It's his cross. It's his cross, his resurrection, his paschal mystery. Moses and Elijah and Jesus were talking about the cross. The thing that Jesus was about to do at Jerusalem, Luke 9, 31, one biblical scholar puts it like this. Their topic of conversation on that mountain was the cross, but understood as God's exodus, a departure from this life, a passage through the Red Sea of his passion, and a transition into glory, a glory, however, that forever bears the marks of Jesus' wounds, close quote. In the Old Testament, neither Moses nor Elijah we're able to look at God's face and live. Just go back and read the stories. But Jesus, he can. He's no mere man. He's the suffering servant. He's the one who embraced his passion, the passion of the cross. The cross, which is so mysterious that no mind can comprehend it. The cross that is so beautiful that all we can do is weep over it. And, in, and adore it. The passion of the cross, it's the demonstration that Jesus is no mere man. The demonstration that he is the mediator between God and man, between God and us, the one who bridges the gap between God and us, us and our wars, us and our sin, us 
and our hypocrisies. He alone bridges the gap between us and a God that is so holy that no one can look at him and survive. But if we look at God through Jesus, then everything is different. What is prayer? It's experiencing God through Jesus, mystically entering into the mind of Christ, entering into the eyes of Christ, and beholding the face of God. Moses could not do that. Elijah could not do that. Moses, Elijah, and Jesus, which of these three is not like the others? Of these three, only Jesus can gaze into God's face and bask in his presence. And because of him, because of his cross slash exodus, so can we. In him and through him, we can pray to the Father. We can enjoy the mystical presence of God. In him and through him, we can bask. Would you like to have a face like Charles Williams? Do you want a countenance that radiates love and joy into the world? Learn to pray. Learn to dwell in the mystical presence, the love of God. Learn to bask, quorum Deo, before the face of God. Happy Transfiguration Sunday. In the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for joining us at the pulpit of St. George's Austin, where the love of God in Christ slays our enemies, our fears, our guilt, our worries. How are they slain? Only by love. Special thanks to the good folks of St. George's and especially to that masterful media guru, Liam Dolan Henderson. See you next week. Peace and be well.